Warning! Binge mode contains adult content. You ever wonder how a noted suave space gambler might make love, sweet, passionate love to a droid? You ever wonder if it works? I have. The creators of Solo, a Star Wars story, have. And you will too, once you listen to this episode of Binge Mode. But if that's not your thing, please check out the Ringer NBA show. One more warning. Binge Mode contains spoilers. So, if you don't yet know why it's time to start brushing up on the rules of Sabak, please proceed Ooh. with extreme caution. And now Binge Mode. We need to divert auxiliary power to the rear deflector shield. We definitely do. Since when do you know how to fly? 190 years old? You look great. Zoe, get in. I'll help Ander. Hello. Beautiful. And welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mally Rubin, executive editor of The Ringer. <laughs> that means what a great website. That's exactly what it means. Joining me today, now that he's finished trying Ooh. on Lando's many colored capes. I like the shirts too, the one with the little like navy kind of flap. It's Ringer staff writer, your very well-dressed maester, Jason Concepcion. Mal, welcome back to Binge Mode Weekly. We're off our every Thursday schedule at the moment as we prepare to launch Binge Mode Harry Potter on June 11th when it's hot, but not the hottest. And we're still popping up when we can to dive into, you know, the various topics that are obsessing us at whatever moment. You can find both weekly and the eventual Harry Potter pod on the same feed. So stay subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us. Five stars. A huge thank you, by the way. Everyone who joined us in Dallas for Con of Thrones over Memorial Day weekend. Thank it you. was a blast. We enjoyed it. We Such loved a it. We had a great time. time. If you missed the action, what a taste. Ooh. Mm. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at binge underscore mode, aka the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans and always provides a handy update on Lady Proxima's moods. She seems like a tough hang. Yes. Very tough hang. Extremely tough. Today on Binge Mode Weekly, we are diving deep. Deep. Not only into Lando's closet, but also into Solo, a <laughs> Star Wars story. Lando's something else that we're going to talk about. <laughs> I'll leave that to L3. Ooh. It works. It works, I'll tell you. <laughs> Again, requisite spoiler warning for today's binge as always. We will be going deep on details deep. from Solo and the wider Star Wars canon. Obviously cannot talk about this movie independent of the rest of the films in the expanded universe. Yes. So punch it, Chewy, because it's time. At long last, to make the Kessel Run. Jason? Yeah? What should we drink to? Let's drink to and see where it goes. Oh. <laughs> Let's also offer up a relatively brief refresher on what actually happened in Solo. Because you've heard a lot of rhetoric. You've heard a lot of narrative around the movie, but do you yes. know what actually happened in it? it? We're here to remind you. Yes. Let's hop in this speeder. Take a quick trip down our very own Corellian King's Road. Welcome to Corellia, a factory planet. Dour and gray, Lovely churning there. out ships for the Empire's various wars. Crime here is endemic and gangsters run rampant. Han, 
soon-to-be solo, not yet, and Kira are hard luck lovers making moves out on the street, just trying to scrape up enough credits to buy a ship and get out, get to anywhere else. They're like their very own Corelli and Bruce Springsteen song together. When a post-heist handoff with a local gang leader goes sideways, they make a run for the spaceport but get separated. Kira is captured. Han, gangsters and spaceport security hot on his heels, approaches an Imperial recruiting station and signs up, thus acquiring his iconic surname and escapes, promising, promising, I will return for you, Kira. Three years later, Han, now in the infantry after flunking out of the Imperial Navy for having a mind of his own, a.k.a. insubordination, is slogging through the mud with the rest of the infantry on the war-torn planet Mimbin, ardently trying not to die. Good goal, good goal. So that he can get back to Corellia and rescue Kira. He runs in to one Tobias Beckett, a gangster, and Beckett's lady, his wife, Val, and Rio, a four-armed alien, doing his best to hide those forearms. Tobias's gang, they are all posing as Imperial Infantry in order to steal a ship that they need for another job on a different planet. Han sees his chance here. This is his moment to escape. He tries to insinuate himself into their crew, but Tobias is not feeling it. Yeah. Turns him in for trying to desert, and Han is promptly thrown into a pit where he will have to fight not only the overt allusions to past Star Wars someone's getting right. thrown into a pit scenes, but a fearsome beast. That creature, dun-dun-dun, is that Chewbacca's music? As it turns out, Han could speak a little bit. Piquito Wookie, and he and Chewie conspire to escape. They make their way to the space pad where Tobias and the gang are just about to take off. Needing muscle for the job, which involves a heist of refined coaxium from a transport train on Vandor. That's a lot of words that mean stuff. <laughs> Tobias reluctantly brings the duo aboard. And guess what? The heist goes wrong. Who could have guessed the heist would go wrong? Never could have A band of coming. mass marauders appears, and they want the coaxium from themselves. To what end? We will find out later. In the chaos... Ryu and Val are killed, and the coaxium is destroyed. Beautiful sequence. Reminded me of Snowpiercer. Welcome to the planet Snowpiercer was exactly what I thought about this. (sighs) Tobias takes Han and Chewie to see his boss, because guess what? His boss isn't going to be happy. No. No. This isn't what you want to have to go to your boss with, especially when your boss is Dryden Voss. (laughs) Who is Dryden Voss? He is a member of the Crimson Dawn crime syndicate. Voss's space yacht is a sumptuous affair, <laughs> a floating party. You, you, you always got to get the cantina scene. You need it. Some this sort was of it. cantina dance, singing, bright pink drink scene, and this is it. We got our aliens dancing to down-tempo chill wave. Jason, guess who's there? Who could it be? Kira, who's somehow escaped her dire circumstances back in Corellia and risen to be Voss's right-hand woman. Voss is pissed, and he wants Tobias, and by extension, Han and Chewie's heads. Han, as he's wont to do, quickly talks them out of it by suggesting a wildly impractical plan. Steal unrefined coaxium. What about the unrefined shit, guys? From the mine planet Kessel, thus squaring their debts to Voss and whoever Voss works for. We'll find that out later. Who could it be? Plan has... uh, a few wrinkles. Unrefined coaxium is wildly unstable and prone to exploding after a period of time. 
Kessel is surrounded by a vast stormy cloud of debris filled with weird tentacle aliens and who knows what else. Hyperspeed travel directly to the planet is impossible, which actually doesn't matter because they don't have a ship. <laughs> no problem. Kira knows a guy. Lando Calrissian, a.k.a. your boy, Donald Glover. Suave gambler, man of many capes. Also, crucially, the captain of the Millennium Falcon. Han attempts to win the ship in a game of sabacc, but loses because Lando is a filthy fucking cheater. Yeah. Cheater. No matter. They get Lando to agree to join up so they can all use the Falcon together. What's the cost? Eh, just a mere 25% stake in the profits. They'll get that down a little bit after Lando fucks up. Yeah. Lando brings his co-pilot L3, a droid revolutionary constantly agitating very effectively and compellingly for equal rights. Off to Kessel, using the classic Han and Chewie pretend to be prisoners trick that is, by this time in our actual reality, a Star Wars staple, the gang infiltrates the mine. L3 instigates a droid slave rebellion, and things promptly get extremely messy. Han and Chewie get the unrefined fuel to the Falcon, manage to take off, but not before L3's body is damaged beyond repair. Lando looks very sad in his cape. Now all they have to do is escape. No big deal. Just through a treacherous space miasma around the planet, and they need to find a way to head for the nearest refinery before the coaxium goes boom. Not a lot of time and a lot of treacherous space to get through. What to do? Well, L3 is not done. Yeah, she's not done. They download L3's brain, which contains extremely detailed navigational maps, into the Millennium Falcon. She's part of the ship now. She's part of the ship now. She's part Lando. of the retcon now. Yeah, she's, part, she's been retconned. <laughs> they plot a course with L3's assistance through the space cloud and light speed over to Savarine to process the coaxium. Who's there but the Marauders? Their leader, Enfys. Give me one of those action figures immediately. It's really cool. Looks a lot like a uh, Destiny yes, character, by totally. the way. The video game Destiny. Their leader, Enfys, explains that, oh, hold on. We're not criminals. We're actually freedom fighters attempting to spark a rebellion against the Empire. Twist. Han, the good guy in him slowly awakening as if from carbonite after a long slumber, hatches a plan to double-cross Voss and help Enfys. Tobias, though, snitches him out, and Twist. in the ensuing fight, various fights, Voss is killed on his yacht by Kira, and Tobias is gunned down on the beach by Han, who shot first. Han is like, hey, Kira, we're going to go be heroes and stuff now or whatever it is. Been waiting for, this babe. is what we've been waiting for. I got the ship. Just you and I got me. the cash. Chewy. And Kira's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Hold on. I just got to uh, text somebody. Kira gets on the <laughs> horn, calls up Voss's boss in the Crimson Dawn. Who is it? Who is it? It's the homie Darth Maul. His legs now replaced by robot legs after that famous battle with Kai Gon Jin and Obi Wan. And Obi Wan, the young Padawan. She's like, hey, uh, here's what happened. Tobias is dead. A bunch of the shit got stolen, and I'm in control now. And, and Darth Maul is like, okay, come see me. We got to talk about it. Meanwhile, Han and Chewie decline to join Enfys' nascent rebellion. And they decide to go wherever Lando is. They win the Falcon in another game of Sabacc and decide to head for Tatooine, where they hear tell of a gangster putting together a crew for an unnamed heist. Mal. Yeah. Everything you've heard about me, it's true. I'm hung like a fucking whatever that Crimson Dawn guy is. The other guy. Not that guy, but the other guy. Anyway. And that gets us to this episode's gigantically 
big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it by sticking it with the pointy ends of Dryden Voss's electric hand knives. What do we think those are? Those look great. The defining theme of Solo is beginnings. Well, let's begin at the beginning ourselves. Yes. And where better to start than with our, our feelings? Let's talk about our feelings. Did you like this movie? I did. Divisive film. Is it that divisive? It feels less divisive, I think, because it's less successful, frankly, than The Last Jedi. So in that sense, it feels less divisive. I will say that considering everything that happened, like a director handoff in the middle of production, various rumors of the main actor, Alden Ehrenreich, being not up to the task, kind of competing visions for what the tone and content of the movie would be, copious reshoots. This movie's fine. I liked it. I thought it was fine. There's a few areas where I felt like I could feel the seams. We'll talk about that in a bit. I think most notably Glover's performance of Lando Calrissian felt uneven and just there were multiple angles kind of going there that I didn't really understand all the time. But other than that, it was a fun movie. I had fun in this movie, watching this movie. I also had fun. There are various ways to assess whether a film is successful, right? Yes. There's just the artistic merit of what the filmmakers are trying to do. And certainly in a case like this where various people have their hands on the story at various points, that's a little harder to, to say because we what was the intent at any given point? There's the financial question of whether it's a success. And that's that is certainly one of the narratives that is already right. building, which is, oh, Solo is going to be the first Star Wars flop. Relative flop. A soft opening comparatively uh, when you take into account previous Star Wars films and their openings. Right. Not making a lot of money overseas and like the China market is essential. But I think there's a case to be made that the long run of is this going to be a debacle discussion heading up to the movie maybe actually helped it. Yeah, <laughs> lowered lowered, right. the, lowered the expectations to a degree. Yeah, that- I mean, that was certainly the case for me personally. You know, I went in thinking that this was going to feel like a movie made by 20 different people right. with no continuity yes. and no sense of self and that everybody acting in it, or most particularly the lead, yeah. were going to be debacles. And yeah. I just didn't feel that way about it. I was like, this movie is, I don't know that it needed to exist, yeah. but I'm not offended or sad Agreed. that it does. It's entertaining enough. I thought that Alden was fine. Fine. He's fine. Like I was Harrison expecting- Ford is not only yes. Harrison Ford as an actor, but Han Solo as a character. Capturing what he did with yeah. that role initially is one of the absolute hardest things to have to do in cinema. And he was a little more charming than I thought he'd be, which, I don't know, again, just compared to the expectations that I had allowed myself to form based on all of these reports over all of these months, I was like, this is a little bit better than I thought it was going to be, not worse than I thought it was going to be. I agree completely. There was one rumor I read where it was like Alden's performance was uncomfortably close to Ace Ventura. There was really no signs of that. He was fine. Now, listen, I think (laughs) he's partially hamstrung by the fact that Harrison Ford is like in the top three most charming and good looking actors in film history. Literally the box office king like the his films have made more money than anybody else. I would challenge any actor to try and follow in those footsteps. That said, 
I didn't have a problem with his performance at all. I thought he was fine. And then there's the matter of just the tone of the movie and what the movie was even trying to do. Obviously, our understanding is that under Lord and Miller, it was supposed to be more of a raucous, riotous affair. Slapstick almost, comedy. And certainly that you feel the Ron Howard touch all over it from the color palette to the vibe. But regardless, it is an action film. It is a heist movie. It is... In many ways, and you guys should listen to the Big Picture podcast where Sean Fennessy and David Shoemaker discuss this and also read Sean Fennessy's piece on The Ringer, a great website. In some ways, it does not necessarily feel like a Star Wars film. You don't have Jedi Knights, for example. The Empire is in the film, certainly, but is not the bad guy, is not the force that they're running from or trying to challenge. Right, there's no super weapon. There's no Dryden Voss is like appears in three scenes. If there's one critique I have of this movie, it's that it really needed a villain for most of it. Right. Dryden Voss is kind of lurks in the background. They're always worried about what he's going to think, what he's going to do. He's going to send people after us, blah, blah, blah. But you only see him on his yacht twice. And there's no feeling of, uh uh-oh, our heroes are in peril from some villain, some force. It's mostly just, hey, let's get this job done so we can pay off some guys. So in theory, you know— Solo, a Star Wars story, has the same overarching question hanging above it that Rogue One had, which is basically, do we need this movie? The anthology stories are all going to have that because they are, by definition, side tangential stories that still do in some way connect to the primary franchises. And with Rogue One, the difference was the fact that the connections were basically philosophical. Yeah. It was about a plan. You were not connected to people. Right. You could say fully, well, okay, so spoiler alert for Rogue One here. Everyone dies. Yeah. I was in, I was out. It was two and a half hours of my right. life. I either enjoyed it or I didn't. Solo, the way they made this movie, the heist-like nature of it, giving us the Kessel Run, small stakes, small villain, you're simultaneously saying this is its own little thing, its own little movie about a small moment in time and a small adventure. But the difference is Han Solo is not at the heart of Rogue One. Han Solo is one of the most important characters in movie, literally in movie history. It is not an exaggeration to say that. Without Han Solo, Star Wars doesn't work. We like to make fun of Luke on this podcast. It's impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> I'm going to go to Tiny Days against the power converters. If you only had that in the original trilogy and you don't have Han's cool charisma as a counterpoint, those movies, they don't take off the way don't. that they do. And so you're asking people to simultaneously buy into this thing being an isolated mini-adventure and to saying, we know you care about this character so much, we're going to show you how he began. That's a really delicate balance to try right. to strike. You're you're trying to have it both ways, and and that did not work for everybody. I and mean, that's the philosophical weakness, too, when you decide to do a prequel movie. The fact of the matter is, we know to a large degree how this story will end. Yes, right. we don't know the details, but we know who lives and dies for sure, because Han, Lando, Chewie, these are characters that we know and see as the story moves forward. That's a great point. And to just make another contrast to another pre-existing piece of Star Wars, and it's it's hard to not constantly do that, given yeah. just the not only the sheer volume we're looking at at this point, both in terms of films that exist at this point and films we know are going to exist soon, but also in terms of the impact that these movies yeah. have had on the culture. The prequel trilogy, that also theoretically had that problem, which is you know how this is going to end. This is about how Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader. Spoiler. 
We issued a spoiler warning. Like, you're, this is on you at this point. Amazing moment in Ringer's Slack history where a staffer who shall remain nameless responded to a Slack about Anakin turning into Darth Vader by saying, Anakin becomes Darth Vader. Really uh, just truly an elite moment in Ringer history. But while obviously plenty of people pan the prequels, and there are many, many flaws in those films, especially in the first one, watching how a villain is born is a more compelling proposition than saying how does Han Solo, who's always kind of like a rogue, become a smuggler. Yeah, The stakes there are just not as high. So again, they're saying, we know that you care about this character, we want you to invest, but you know a lot of this already and nothing that we tell you or show you is going to be that big. This movie is built around the Kessel Run, which is an iconic part of Han Solo lore. Yes. Now, that's either brilliant or idiotic. You're either saying we're going to show you finally this thing that has lived in your mind as legend right. for decades, but also this has been in your mind for decades. So it was, I think, compelling or not compelling to various degrees to various people. But at the end of the day, that was what it was about, and that was the point. We finally learned a lot about Han, including— how he got his name. Ah, so Han escapes to a spaceport. This, the gangsters are chasing him. He walks up to a recruiting station. He sees, the, uh, this is actually one of my favorite bits from the movie was, you don't get a real idea about consumer culture in Star Wars. You know what I mean? Or, or There's no advertising. There's very little advertising in the world of Star Wars. So that moment when Han walks up to a, Imperial recruiting station and there's like above it, there's like a billboard playing. It's like, join the empire, see the world. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's not a thing you see. Anyway, so Han walks up. He's trying to escape. He uh, says to the uh, recruiter, yeah, I'm, I want to join up. I'd like to join the uh, Navy because I want to fly. And he says, okay, what, what name? Han. Who are your people? The guy says, I don't have people. I'm alone. Ah. One thing Star Wars needed more of was stories about orphan boys. <laughs> Han Solo. And by the way, this scene... If you don't see this coming, like, five minutes before he even walks up <laughs> to the recruiting tough, station, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know. They should have been, like, when the recruiter is like, ah, I see, you're alone. So, let's see. Synonyms for alone. <laughs> what, what can I use? What is a sin? Hold on. Let Han me independent, it. doesn't have quite <laughs> the same ring. Right. Miriam Webster, thesaurus. Han loner, no, no it that's really not good. Tongue. It needs something punchy that yeah. I can build a franchise around. <laughs> how, how about this? Han Solo. Also, like, can we just briefly talk about the fact that the dude who's like, Checking you in has the power to name people. I know, just whatever. That just goes to show you the kind of like oversight control in the empire is a lot of bureaucracy, but not a lot of actual checks and balances. And then we get to see the meeting finally. Finally, the ultimate bromance: Han and Chewie together at last. What a meet cute! Really great meet cute. I must admit, now when he's grabbed by the infantry troops who are going to throw him into his little underground prison, they throw him down there and like, okay. You're going to fight this beast. Right. And he goes, there's a beast? Right. Because Han Solo is not, not only did he flunk out of the Navy. Right. For mouthing off. And w one note about this, and again, I like the movie. I think the people who are being highly critical of it watched it in a different way than I did, and that's fine. But one thing that I agree with is that it's a little weird to make an origin story about Han Solo and not actually show us, like, him learning to fly. Yeah. Like, where <laughs> did he, literally, like, where did he learn it? Prodigy pilot? Yeah. That was very strange. But... 
So he flunks out, and then he's just going to desert. He's a deserter. Yeah. We're learning a lot here about our guy and the the kind of moral fiber. <laughs> he's he's not into war. Who knows how many people, by the lady. way, he's killed in the Mimbin campaign. Innocent aliens. A lot of mud. Didn't look great. Very World War One-ish. A lot of mud. I wanted him to take a, a medal off yeah. of some dead soldier and give it to Chewie and say, you're not going to get one of these later on. Much later, when you deserve a medal, you will not get one, but here. So anyway, like he's uh, tasked with fighting this beast. The beast turns out to be Chewbacca. Hungry. Hasn't eaten a man in a few days. And hadn't feed him. And th- there's like a kind of crumpled uniform <laughs> of some other deserter down there. It's very, very disturbing. You would imagine that the, the entire very muddy cave is just laden with Chewbacca's feces. And uh, <laughs> Han is getting his ass kicked. Absolutely kicked. As you would expect. And then all of a sudden is like. And Chewbacca's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Speaking the slang, my guy? (laughs) (laughs) Instant bond right there. Instant bond. They escape. And now we know why Chewie is forever indebted to Han Solo. Although, to be fair, I don't know that you would really be indebted to a guy. It's kind of like they both did it. You know what I mean? Like, yes, Chewie is like has a blood oath now. He will follow Han to the death. And indeed did. Spoiler. But... It's not like Han's getting out unless Chewie breaks the pillar. Right. Though Chewie's been in there with the pillar and never noticed that it was... I mean, he's half a dog. It's structural integrity. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I feel like Milton would have spotted it right away. But there are a couple really cute Han-Chewie moments that we get when Han says, what's your name anyway? And Chewie says... <laughs> and then Han says Chewbacca. All right, well, you're gonna need a nickname because I ain't saying that every time. Little moments like that. It's like, yeah. okay, so that's why he starts calling him Chewy. The film was simultaneously heavy-handed <laughs> and effective at giving. You're gonna us- need a nickname because that's what people do when someone has a longer name. They shorten it. It's a natural thing that everybody does. <laughs> Everybody, literally everybody in the world. Nicholas? I'm not calling you Nicholas. Mallory? Who has the time? Who has the extra 1.5 seconds to go the Lurie? I call Milton Milt. Yeah. Can't even say Milton. Can't even say Milton. There is a very touching moment later in the film when, you know, there are a couple moments where you're not sure, will Chewie leave? Because he has a stated mission. What do we see at the, uh, near the end of the prequel films? Well, we know what happened to Chewie's home planet, what happened to the rest of the Wookiees. He wants to find his people. And there's this moment when Han and Chewie and Tobias are just having a chat and about where will they go? What will they do? And Chewie says something, declares and you know, his intent. And Han says, I don't know if he said tribe or family. Mm. And Beckett says, what's that was, the difference? That was quite affecting, actually. That was like a lovely little moment. This is an interesting point. That storyline is almost more compelling than the one we got. Like, we're going to, spoiler, name L3 our winner of this episode, right? <laughs> Chewie searching for his enslaved tribe and L3 engaging in a quixotic mission to free droids across the galaxy. I want to know more. But here's the thing. Yeah. You still might get all that. I hope so. Because they're not going to stop making these movies. They're not going to stop making them. Yeah. Even if the narrative around this is it didn't make as much money as it should have, they're still going to make more. They're going to make more solo movies and they're going to make more Star Wars yeah. movies. They're going to make Lando movies. We will definitely get a droid-centric movie at some point. Oh, I mean, the love for better. L3 in this film, we're coming off fucking amazing. literally years yeah. of BB-8 being one of like the 10 most important <laughs> figures in the world. Yeah. Like, they, you know, R2 
C-3PO are iconic characters. They're going to give this to us eventually. Maybe the best Chewie Han moment. Yes. It's like, how do you know how to fly? How'd you learn all this? Because yeah, Chewie gets in there punching buttons. Yeah. Chewie goes, <laughs> Han's like, you're 190 years old? You look great. <laughs> That's one of the moments, that line delivery. You look great. Yeah. Where I think you're like, oh, maybe if they had just given Lord and Miller more time mm. or if they had been more focused. Who I knows agree. what reports you can believe about what actually happened there and led Kathleen Kennedy to make the switch. But there's a, something in his comic delivery yeah. there that is appealing. It's a great point because when we think of Han Solo and indeed Harrison Ford. Which what I is often the f- do. What is the first descriptor that comes to mind? Handsome. Sure. Also, what else? Naked. Okay, yeah, that's legit. I get it. <laughs> I am being as real as real can be. Uh, charming. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I would I would sum that all up and say Han Solo is cool. Cool is extremely hard to pull off if you are not inherently cool. Right. Now, we're talking about a younger Han Solo. I can understand where Lord and Miller are coming from. This is the younger guy. He's not cool yet. He hasn't had those experiences yet. He's still like, wow, aw shucks, look at this world. And yes, he's a wise acre and he is a shit talker and he can talk himself out of situations, but he's not Mr. Heartthrob yet. So right. you can understand where they're coming from. But at the same time, that is a tough thing to do when the essence of a character is, wow, what a cool motherfucker this guy is. Quick aside here. Yes. Which Harrison Ford is your favorite Harrison Ford? Like of, of all the films. In the movies? In any movie he's ever done, which is your favorite? Who's the most handsome? I'm going to go mid-80s Ford. Frantic, which was directed by the alleged rapist Roman Polanski. Heavy underlining of alleged. The man is now in his fourth decade of fleeing overseas to not stand trial for said case, in which Harrison Ford plays a doctor whose wife is kidnapped in France. He's kind of like this... Not quite the hero, a little bit of a dirtbag Harrison Ford. I really like that. And I also like Harrison Ford in Witness, which is the Philly cop Harrison Ford who goes to Amish country and bangs out Kelly McGillis. (laughs) (laughs) Here's one of the things that I believe fully. Yes. I believe very few things fully about life, but this is one of them. No one has ever ever looked better than Harrison Ford in Witness. It's a great, ever. You know, John Book is the sexiest character of all time. Part of the part of the thing when is when he he looks at her taking a bath. Oh my god. And she's like leave the do-. she's like I can't, but I'm going to leave the door open and sponge myself now. There's also the moment when it's part of it is that you see him through her eyes. You know what I mean? So it's like you see him, you know, Kelly McGillis is fucking like putting up barns and like churning butter and shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like her husband like has a page boy haircut and then in walks Harrison Ford. And she's like, literally, I did not know they made men like this. <laughs> Can we do a witness spot? It's, it's a great movie. I love it. Truly incredible. Yeah. Speaking of sexy men, let's talk about Han and Lando. Another meet cute here and maybe an even more important union than yeah. Han and Chewie. Han and the Millennium Falcon. Couple oh, important beginnings here. Absolutely iconic. So Han, they need a ship, right? Luckily, Kira's like, I know a guy. And she describes him as like, he's, listen, he's charming. He knows women, he knows men, he knows droids, he knows everything. He wears 50 capes. I think the capes are actually explicitly mentioned. So they go and Han, of course, 
we know from the lore, famously won the Millennium Falcon <laughs> in a game of Sabacc from Lando Calrissian. And fair and square. Fair and square. And we get the initial card game, which I think, quite smartly, is not the actual card game in which he wins the Falcon. But we learn something about Lando, which is he's suave as shit and he cheats big time. He's got a little like card rig yeah. on his right arm to feed him the swing card. The necessary card. And what is that? In essence, a poker scene. Right. Who knows how, what the rules of Sabak are? No one, because they did not <laughs> attempt to explain that at all. <laughs> There's also like the currency from like six different alien worlds on the table. It's like that part I actually thought was really interesting. It's like, how do we how do we even gamble with people from six different like worlds? I like that, too. And that's why it's like, oh, well, let's throw a ship in here. You throw your ship, your fake ship that yeah. you've been bullshitting me about, and I'll throw in my ship. You know, there's the famous way that Lando is introduced in Empire. It seems as if he and Han hate each other. There's right. that moment they kind of like glower at each other. And they play that back at us at the final card game where Han will eventually win the, the Millennium Falcon. He walks up to Lando. They're like about to go at it. And then he sees the little card trick sleeve, grabs it. It's like, oh, I missed you, my guy. Let's play cards again. Now knowing that he has that final card, he has taken away Lando's advantage and he can win straight up. Also, of all the many Easter eggs and allusions to other things from the wider Star Wars verse, I think one of my favorites might have been the moment in this film where Lando says, I hate you, and Han says, I know, yeah. which is obviously the <laughs> right. flip side of the iconic Leia Han, I love you, I know yeah. scene. I, I really enjoyed that. And then, of course, we learn a bit, but not enough, about Han's piloting career. And what we learn more of is how he got into this life of smuggling. He got kicked out of the Academy for having a mind of my own. Yeah. That's the the inverse of the You Look Great line, where you're like, oh, maybe this guy can't act. Yeah. And, of course, we get the Kessel Run, this moment, this act, this achievement that is at the center of the self-mythologizing as yes. much as anything else. And they nod at that in a pretty effective way when he says, I just did the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. And Chewbacca makes uh, a, a little edit there, a little, a, little, a little bit of doubt and maybe a correction on the time mark. And then Han says, not if you're round down, buddy. <laughs> I love it. That was phenomenal. And the moment in the film that is actually really at the heart of us understanding how Han became who he is, even more so than us seeing where he grew up, learning more about his childhood. Under, there's a bit in the movie about how his father, part, why is he drawn to the Falcon so much? Yeah. Part of it is that his father was working on ships like that. His father wanted to be a pilot, we learn. So we get all of this background about his childhood, obviously his relationship with Kira, the fact that they are separated when they're trying to escape, and his desire to get back to her. He thinks to rescue her. Of course, he has no idea that she's it's been in a, three years, moved my God. on. <laughs> like, yeah. Boy, has she moved on. But that is the propelling force of his life, this desire to rescue her, which is really a stark contrast to the Han who we will initially meet in A New Hope, who's kind of like, I'm in it for the money. Yeah. I'm not in it I'm, for helping people. Yeah, he's. You kind of understand, by the way, why Right. Our older Han would be like, listen, I've done the rescuing the princess thing. Man. Exactly. I've and done so, it. totally, this moment, this line of dialogue from Woody Harrelson's Tobias Beckett is really fundamental to us understanding Han's evolution. Assume everyone will betray you and you will never be disappointed. The plot that plays out in this movie, Kira's ultimate decision, certainly Tobias's betrayal, 
that all falls into line with that logic. And you can see how those things happening so closely to Han hearing that would lead to this becoming sort of internalized wisdom for him that then goes on to define the rest of his life and his future actions. So he gets his iconic blaster. I forget what the name of that, but there's an actual title for the blaster. But Han's iconic weapon is given to him by Tobias in really what is like amounts to the most touching moment between those guys. When Han first sees Tobias, he sees him on the battlefield wielding dual pistols, spinning them on his finger, shooting people. And then Han is like, hey, teach me how to do that. Teach me how to spin those those pistols. Tobias does not do that, but he gives him the blaster. And that kind of gives us this, this fundamental building block of Han's character. And then there's the, the disposition. Here's a line that is very subtle. <laughs> Kira to Han, you are the good guy. He is. He doesn't think so, but that's what's interesting about it. Exactly. That is what's interesting about it. And also, here's a guy who's really just doing good stuff. Right. We so often Who's talk, like, I'm not the good guy. Right. We so often talk about how one of the defining characteristics of a good villain yeah. is that the villain does not realize he's the villain. Thinks he's the hero. Yeah. And or Han, he or she thinks he's the hero. Han is kind of the hero. inverse of that in a way that is... Works well and is pretty compelling. He is the good guy. He is acting heroically, but he can't identify as a hero. It's contrary to how he sees himself and how he sees the world. And part of it is that he does, he's not a guy who really believes that heroes even exist. And why would he? Look at his life. Look at how he grew up. Yeah. The other beginning that we get in this movie, well, can we call it a beginning? A little bit of the beginnings of the rebellion here. Certainly... The nascent rebellion, the disturbings of the rebellion. Right. The the way that the prequels end, there are, of course, plenty of seeds planted about how the full rebellion will eventually rise. Obviously, Luke and Leia are born at the end of those movies. We know that Yoda escapes. Various other crucial threads of the eventual rebellion are already in existence. So we're not saying that this is the first time in the Star Wars timeline that anything that will matter in the rebellion comes into existence. But it is an overt moment where a character, Enfys Nest, says, hey, you think we're the bad guys, but we aren't. Give us that coaxium. Don't make this deal. Give it to us. We can do good. We can use that Fuel, that doesn't have to just be literal fuel, right? It can be, but it can also be metaphorical fuel. It can be the fuel that lights the rebellion. This is this idea is very reminiscent of something from the end of Last Jedi, that idea about the spark that lights the rebellion. Broom boy. Broom boy's everywhere. Before there was broom boy, there was a, a, a figure clearly modeled off a Destiny character, as Jason said. And then, just quickly here, is this the beginning of a real real divide among Star Wars fans because Hmm. this is not the first time that there's been divisive conversation or that a certain section of the fandom has said, I love Star Wars and I'm not happy with this movie. Obviously, that was a huge thing in the wake of Last Jedi. Yeah. That went, to be fair now, the furor surrounding Last Jedi and now let's leave apart people who legitimately were, did not like the film for whatever reason. A lot of the criticism around that film felt motivated by larger political ideals and right. was not always authentically linked to the film in a real way. Totally. That's exactly what I was going to say. That was like charged and disingenuous by basically personal politics yes. in a way that was honestly just really gross. Yes. The 
is Star Wars saturation a problem? Narrative has been in existence for a couple of years, but this is the first moment where that question feels like it might actually be an have issue. an answer. Well, I think here's the thing. They need to get the way they produce these films more seamless. It, has, it needs to be a better process. They can look to Marvel and other Disney property and try and figure out, like, how, how do you guys do it? Marvel's made 19 films now, I want to say, and... They don't have these problems. They have an existing IP with fervent fans, a lot of lore, a lot of boxes to check, and they don't have issues like this. Star Wars, for whatever reason, does. You can make the case that their characters are much more iconic, therefore much more harder shoes to fill, but they do. And I think if you take out some of the production drama, maybe that narrative isn't around this film as much. Right. It's just impossible to say. I would rather make that case for a film that doesn't have the the wild backstory. And then if one of the Benioff and Weiss Star Wars films or whatever right. kind of comes out soft, we can talk about that. This I don't know if I'm ready to make that statement about this film. I feel similarly. I agree. And I just also think that it is not it is not reasonable yeah. to say every Star Wars film must cross a billion dollars right. to be considered a success. That is an unreasonable standard. Now, the flip side of that to play devil's advocate is people really care about Han Solo. If they didn't care enough to invest in this movie, both financially and emotionally, are they really going to care about a Bubba Fett movie? Maybe. Bubba Fett, mystified by the Bubba Fett, like, cult. The guy's in Empire for, like, 45 seconds. But you know what? At the end of the day, how bad is it to have more Star Wars? I agree. The other thing is, and not to go back to Marvel, but, you know, when Marvel does Ant-Man and the forthcoming Ant-Man and the Wasp, There's no expectation among the people who run the MCU that that will do Infinity Wars dollars, right? So this is still a learning process, I think, for the Star Wars production. Jason? Yes. So you expect me to believe that you walked away with nothing? Well, I ran away with my life. I think that's something. To me, that's a lot. Particularly, I guess, since that life wasn't always supposed to look the way that it currently does. And we'd like to learn more about that. So, Maester... Please assemble the Conclave and head to the Citadel down on Savarine to teach us everything we need to know about the origins of Han Solo. Picture this. Large green-skinned alien from Eurillian, I think that's how it's pronounced, walks into a bar. My guy is covered in slime, has no nose, and large gills. How does this creature breathe? The Tatooine air, you ask? I don't know. Maybe he's got one of those breathers. Okay, how about this? How about a human, pirate-type character, perhaps with a beard, who's raised by Wookiees? We could cast, I don't know, Christopher Walken and base the character off of uh, Don't Laugh Francis Ford Coppola. Proto-nerd George Lucas was apparently impressed by Coppola's swagger and charm when the director managed to convince Warner Brothers to pony up the cash for Apocalypse Now. So that is apparently true, that George Lucas wanted to base some of Han off Francis Ford Coppola. Or perhaps we cast uh, young Robert Englund, a.k.a. Freddy Krueger, as Han Solo, or Nick Dolte. Al Pacino, James Caan, Chevy Chase, Kurt Russell, all these actors and more read for were approached to play or were otherwise linked with the iconic role of Han Solo. So how did Harrison Ford end up with the part? Ford was, by this time, a part-time actor who had booked small roles on television and the silver screen, but who was making a large part of his income from carpentry. Ah, the carpentry trade, timeless. Ford had a small but memorable part in 1973's American Graffiti, directed by George Lucas. The coming-of-age tale was a hit and put Lucas on the map, but it didn't really put Ford on the map. But luckily for Ford, he had that carpentry gig to fall back on. Fast forward three years later, 1976, Lucas is casting his next film, Little Diddy Called Star Wars. <laughs> little weird kind of Flash Gordon-esque space opera. 
because that story would stand or fall on the chemistry of its main characters, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, Lucas wanted to see his prospective actors interact to banter, to bust each other's balls. Ford, in an interview with Rolling Stone in 2015, explained what happened next. Ford had apparently been hired by Francis Ford Coppola to install a door at his office on the MGM lot. Ford says, I came in and I worked for a couple of days and I was working late, you know, finishing up the last of it when George Lucas came in with Richard Dreyfus, I spent a few minutes chatting with them and that was it. This kind of little opening led to his audition. Ford continues, I read with more than a hundred actors. The story that I know is that there were two threesomes and they had narrowed it down to two and I was in one of them. I had no idea that that was a potential situation. They asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, sure, why not? And the rest is Star Wars history. Excuse me, a Star Wars story. <laughs> See what you did there? Yes. Mal. Yeah. Assume everyone will betray you, and you will never be disappointed. And so far, we have not been. You'll never betray me. Except for Isaac. I don't know. He's done something. He just the way he looks at us. So let's head to the set. Definitely heard him mentioning machetes earlier <laughs> when talking about editing uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone episode four. So concerning. So let's head to the set in Voss's yacht to bathe in the light of the seven by sharing seven of the questions we want answered in a solo sequel. If they're gonna run the risk of disappointing more fans by making a solo sequel, that is, I will go first. Number one, Darth Maul, the homie Darth Maul. Here's the thing about those like video conferencing things in Star Wars. <laughs> it just so happens, like it's good luck that the person on the other line is always sitting in the throne. It just happens to always be there. It's kind of like why people never look for parking in movies or television. There's just always a parking space. Darth Maul, when Kira calls, just sitting there doing whatever it is that uh, Sith Lords do. Anyway, Darth Maul, what, what has my guy been up to since got his legs amputated by uh, Qui-Gon Jinn and, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. What is he doing? I guess he's... What has he been up to? Starting galactic organized crime syndicates? Yeah, apparently. Ch Why? There's a, there's a piece on The Ringer by Miles Surrey. If yeah. you're looking for... If you had a reaction to this that fell somewhere between wait... Are these characters all like a hundred instead of eighteen? Yeah. And Ringer slash. Star Wars, Ringer Star Wars Slack, by the way, did have a reaction to, <laughs> to slash. This I just thought this guy was dead, which yeah. is obviously what most of the people who were watching it thought. Check out this article from Miles, which has some really useful information about how Darth Maul reappeared in the expanded universe and how this is actually canon. I love it that he comes back; that he did not die when Obi Wan severed him in half. Turns out the cut was uh, in a non-mortally wounding part of the body. Um, every now and then, yeah, you just alluded to this to Slack. And every now and then we like to take listeners, we like to bring them beyond the veil, right? Let's bring them in. Give them a peek of what happens here at this online media outlet. <laughs> as referred to by numerous other places as a online media outlet. What a great online media outlet. What a great outlet. online media outlet. And... We were at Con of Thrones over the weekend, but we're, you know, keeping an eye on Slack. Obviously, we're responsible employees. And when you see suddenly, like, 100-plus Slacks in a channel in a very short span of time, you know that shit has gone down. And shit went down in the Ringer Star Wars Slack when— <laughs> An unnamed An person. unnamed employee popped into Star Wars Slack on Friday morning. Some, let's be generous, and we'll call it like 18 hours after the movie had debuted. As multiple staffers pointed out immediately, less than 24 hours after Certainly the movie less than 24, out. perhaps longer than 14 hours. Right, and certainly many of those hours were 
a work day when people could not necessarily be seeing a movie. And he came in with a... Uh, came in hard. Came in hard with the Darth Maul with robot legs, yo. <laughs> and the reaction in the slack was... Swift. Swift and... Fierce. Terrible to behold. <laughs> it was uh, it was incredible. There were memes. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. Number two. Yeah. Enfys Nest and the Cloud Riders. So this marauding group, these uh, space pirates actually have roots in Star Wars comic books, which was interesting to learn a bit more about. I I did not know that. I'm sure many people did. And the movie, at the end, positions them as rebels. They're never fully painted as these really violent outlaws that they are in the comics, apparently, though they are obviously initially, you know, definitely Val's dead because of them. So they're not just purely great either. They definitely stole that coaxium. It's just a while before we know what for. If there are more solo movies, I want to learn more about this group of people. I want to learn more about how many similarities there will be between the marauding group in the film franchise and the Cloud Riders of the comics. I'm eager to learn more about Emphis Nest because this is a kid. Yes, this is like a 17-year-old child. Leading a rebellion. That is exciting. And then also there was an allusion to when my mother wore the mask, Mm. right? What's that all about? I want to learn more about that relationship and what her mother was like Yes, at the head of this marauding gang. Also, anytime anyone says marauders, I think of Harry Potter always. Number three. How does L3's consciousness affect the Falcon? Is that why the Falcon is such a badass ship? We really don't know. However, in Empire, there's a scene in Empire where C-3PO interfaces with the Falcon and says the following line. Sir! I don't know where your ship learned to communicate, but it has the most peculiar dialect, which I guess that's L3. This, that being Amazing. said, L3 speaks with a English accent like you see 3 po So what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> love L3. Yeah, I love L3 is really, really, really incredible. There needs to be an L3 spinoff. Why do they have to kill L3? L3 needs to go on. This is well, Incredible. maybe future movies will show us how L3 does go L3 on inside of the Falcon. Just has every line is a hot, hot bar <laughs> in this. Number four, Jabba, Jabba the Hutt. When we meet Han in the original trilogy, he is in trouble with Jabba. Pissed off the boss. Can't do that. And in Solo, Tobias tells Han about this notorious gangster on Tatooine and yeah. a big score that's got their names on it. And one, you know, Han wants money. We were saying earlier that in A New Hope, he's like, I'm here for the money. I want to get paid. I'm not here to help people. And that in this movie, it's different. Well, sort of. I mean, he wants money this whole movie, too, because he wants to buy a ship to help people. So a little bit of a a hybrid there. But presumably, if they make another film here, it will largely be about Han coming into Jabba's employ and maybe would even show us the job where things went so horribly south and Han ended up with a bounty on his head, though if it's a trilogy, maybe they would save that for the third film because that has to come right before A New Hope. Number five, why did Chewie never get better at the Jarek, a.k.a. Star Wars chess? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but let's just go with it. My guy is 190. (laughs) By the time we meet him in Star Wars, he's had several years aboard the Falcon to practice, and yet we get to the New Hope and Chewie still fucking sucks at this game. And the only reason he wins is because he threatens to pull people's arms out. I enjoyed when he tried to swat the pieces off and Tobias is like, my dude, that's a hologram. I was very, I was very saddened by that because he is a pilot. <laughs> he knows what a hologram is. He knows how to fly spaceships. Listen, he's and then been we're living like, in his own shit And then it's years. like all of a sudden, like, uh, Chewie is, like, distracted by a laser pointer. If all you got to eat was dessert or shul- soldiers, you'd yeah, be... Really. 
You'd, you'd need time Muddy to adjust men. to. Number six. Also, he showered with Han. Ooh. That was a cute scene. That was cute. Was that? that was, he's, was it cute? Looking great. It was a cute scene. I thought so. That yeah, was sweet. They're bonding. Number six. Yeah. Will Kira become the big bad? Ooh. This is interesting because on the one hand, it seems like totally obvious that that's what will happen. But, you know, Star Wars at the end of the day is always about the battle between light and dark and the pull within you one way or another. Will she succumb to the dark side? Is it even the dark side? Like, is Darth Maul at all connected to the Empire and the Sith anymore? Or is he just a crime boss? Is Kira going to get into business with Vader? Are there going to be any connections with the Empire? Or is this all just about crime lord money-making shenanigans? And either way, will Han be the one who either pulls her out of it or potentially kills her? I think a lot of this explains how um, he interacts with the fairer sex, safe to say. And number seven, how did Han pick up that street Wookiee? You know, he's got like a working knowledge of of Wookiee. Originally, Lucas imagined that Han was raised by Wookiees. I don't know how much of that is canon or existed or moved on past like uh, Lucas's original draft of the character. That clearly is no longer the case. So how did he pick it up? How did he get it? He was living in Corellia. And all of a sudden, like, I guess three years maybe in the Imperial Navy and, and slash infantry, he was, like, able to pick up some Wookiee? Maybe, but the Wookiee, like, aren't around then. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, this doesn't make any sense. I, I need to know how Han was, like, learned to speak Wookiee. I mean, one of the interesting things about the movie is that Han is basically, like, a prodigy at everything. He speaks Wookiee. He's amazing at Sabacc. Anything he tries to do, he can do well. Did he get much book learning? Like, where is he picking up on all of it? I guess he's just naturally gifted. And... Charming and (laughs) handsome. He is that. Jason? Yes. I'm going to flip your switch. Whoa! Good luck finding it. (laughs) Maybe it's better that you stay on because every episode we are going to honor the person or idea or droid. I don't know. I'd say droids are people. They compelled us the most. We are sentient! (laughs) This week, with notes to Dolores and Westworld about how a robot whose found consciousness should behave, we are awarding our champion's purse, paid out in coaxium, naturally, to L337. L3, incredible character. So L3 is a droid who is just extremely fervently behind the idea that droids who are really been been looked down upon across the galaxy. They don't they're not served at cantinas, et cetera, et cetera. Not thought of as actually alive. That droids are sentient and they are alive and they deserve equal rights. It's really beautiful. It's actually really moving. It definitely feels like it is taking place in a separate movie, that yeah. entire narrative, which, you know, again, is like, all right, let's actually make it a separate movie. Give us the droid movie, please. But there's an emotional grip and resonance there that is pretty astonishing considering how few scenes L3 actually gets. Like, I would I would do just absolutely awful, awful things to protect BB-8 at this point, but BB-8 has also been in my life for, like, a solid six hours, you know, yeah. at this point, five hours. L3, I mean, I, I would be curious to see what L3's total minutes are. It's got to be, like, 15? I mean, comes in a third of the way through and doesn't make it very long, so... To win us over that fully in that few scenes was astonishing. And it's because there's this, again, there's this actual, like, emotional element of feeling like this is a character fighting for something. That's great. And there's also just a lot of humor and, crucially, an exceptional amount of sexual innuendo. Yes. 
apparently Lando and L3 do stuff, whatever it is. L3 is mentioning this to Kira is kind of like doing a little girl talk moment where she's like, Lando's always kind of hitting me up and I'm like having to tell him like, get out of here. Like, it's just not going to work. I'm sorry. It's not going to work. It's just not not interested. I'm not interested. I know we've had our moments in the past, but it's not going to work. And Kira's like, how does that work actually? (laughs) Is like, oh, it worked. It's reminded me, especially because Amelia Clark is in the scene. It reminded right. me of the legendary scene between Danny and Masande in season seven, where Masande is, uh, they're downloading on what happened between Masande and Grey Worm. And Danny's like, uh, what happened? How? What? Who? When? The tongue? The word? <laughs> the, 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 the who? The what? Are you, are you sure? <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, L3's introduction, our introduction to her is they go to whatever the planet is where Lando is playing cards. And in this cantina slash bar, there's droids fighting to the death. And L3 is outside the cage screaming, no, this is wrong. And screaming at the droid who just won is like, you don't need to do this. You're sentient. Also, I want to also shout out Lane Freefall my tattoo artist who did my Harry Potter tattoo, who plays Naily Frifa in Solo, A Star Wars Story, a multi-talented outlaw. She makes illegal modifications or repairs to starships and equipment. Also a skilled tattoo artist, plays a tattoo artist in the film, and you can kind of see her in that scene. Need to get my Deathly Hallows tat. Let's Let's go. Call her up. True tattoo. Lane Frifa. There's also a very genuine feminine quality to L3 that... I just found, like, very winning. You know, the droids are mostly boys, right? They mostly play, like, boys. And the way from the physicality of how L3 was built, the high-rising legs where the the leg joints are, they really look like hips. Obviously, Phoebe Waller-Bridge did a tremendous job with this performance. Wearing an actual L3 suit. Like a, a the L three robot costume to yeah. play the role, so cool. Pays off. It's just incredible. I want to be a an edge droid. Me too. Shouts L three. We hope you get an entire movie. Wonderful. We're glad you're part of the Falcon now. Wonderful. All right, friends. On these mean streets, a young podcast fights for survival. Yes, but yearns to fly among the stars and the charts. Yes. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, and that you are as excited as we are for binge mode Harry Potter's launch. On June 11th. Done, done, done. That's so soon. Until then, remember, you told Chewy the podcasts are predictable. We're no exception. Name? Han. Who are your people? I, uh... I don't have them. I'm on my own. Ah, let's see. Someone alone. It's a synonym for alone. Unaccompanied? Han unaccompanied? No, that doesn't roll off the tongue. I guess you could make a nickname out of it and call it Han Unk. No, that's not good. How about Han deserted? No, that's kind of more sinister. Han desolate? Nah, not that great. Han lonely? Han lone? I think I'm getting closer, but that's not it. Han single? I mean, that is actually factually correct, but I think uh, Han, Han unassisted? No? Work with me here.